Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Joseph Theodore, your host, and I thank you so very much for tuning in today. I hope you're all doing super, super well. So as you can tell by the title of this episode, I want to officially touch on some aspect of Nietzsche. Now, I'm assuming some of you who may have found yourself to this episode, you may be very well versed in Nietzsche's work. And that's amazing. I feel there's always something new to learn, of course. And depending on who's having the conversation about said individual or topic, you know, you can always learn something new. You can always disagree with whatever that person is saying, disagreeing with me, for example. But that's all part of philosophy. That's all part of expanding one's perspective and and when we discuss a person like Nietzsche he is definitely one of those men who can be very misunderstood and i feel throughout the evolution of his work through modern times Depending on who you are dealing with, you know, everyone kind of has a different angle on how to go about his work specifically. Even though some of the things he stood for and wrote and claimed are very well understood by many in a very objective way, I'm not saying everybody agrees. But his major points and pointings, you know, overwhelmingly people know what he was trying to say. But then there are people who just completely misinterpret, you know, or misinterpreted what he stood for, what he was trying to say. Now, this uh, episode today is going to be very specific on his God is Dead uh, famous claim and famous affirmation, I guess you can say, and his reasoning behind saying that, believing that, his answer to that his worries, his fears. And today I want to just hone in on that. Even though there's so much that could even get packed into his death of God claims and, you know, he has, um, you know, this will to power thing as well as his ideal of how to overcome the death of God his archetypal ideal person, the Ubermensch, and his doctrine of the eternal return. These are very important things to combat nihilism, which he believes is a crisis and something that he foresaw to be 
part of our modern age. But during his time, this was already starting to unfold itself because of the Enlightenment. And during his lifetime was right smack in the middle, essentially, of the Enlightenment. So he was born into this world at just the right time as philosophy was really taking its modern roots. And as some of the biggest theories and claims were beginning to be made post the overwhelming dogmatic religious ideal. Even though, of course, it was still very, very influential and strong, meaning religion, Christianity. Now, in the future, I may do a very in-depth episode on Nietzsche, even though that could run maybe three hours or something like that. So, in the beginning stages of the podcast, I'm going to just, when I talk about him, because again, I'm still trying to get my thoughts and my planning in order for episode to episode, because I don't, you know, I want to be able to touch on more modern cultural things as well, you know, and bringing philosophy and psychology into the mix as we discuss maybe some modern topics and cultural concerns. But when I do talk specifically about heavy hitting philosophers or very, very important things in regards to certain particular individuals, I want to make sure that I'm going to be as specific as I can. And I think I could break down things individually. Like, for example, taking his, you know, his approach to perspectivism, like really break that down into an episode versus trying to go through all of what Nietzsche is in like a three hour, you know, type of thing. But I digress. Today, we're going to really just focus on his God is dead, the death of God (laughs) part of this. I have some notes that I will read to you. Um... And we'll kind of go through this episode like I've been doing recently, which is, you know, a little bit of me, my input, my criticisms, my agreements, my disagreements, along with my notes. And, you know, referring to some sources online that I have in front of me with my computer. Nothing crazy, nothing worth noting. If I feel I need to note anything or anybody's work, specifically, I will. But, you know, some of the information I gather is, you know, just basically just... Google search stuff, and I make sure that it doesn't sound like complete, you know, bullshit, hogwash, rubbish. But, uh, but yeah, so before we begin, though, I just want to say if you're listening to this on YouTube, please consider subscribing to the channel. If you are streaming this on Apple or Spotify, please consider, you know, leaving a review. Apparently, that's, um, You know how podcasts can start getting ranked and maybe more viewers would enjoy this uh, podcast. So, um, you know, there's probably a lot of people maybe interested in philosophy out there who'd want to download some episodes or find a new show. And that would mean a lot if you can maybe leave a review and follow, you know, maybe if, if there's a follow function, you know, on those services, you know, do that. And then if you would like early access to all of my episodes and bonus episodes please consider joining our patreon for eight dollars a month 
And for example, an episode like this was already available on Patreon probably for five or so days. So if you are, you know, if you do become like a fan of the show and wish to support us financially, um, yeah, you know, definitely subscribe to the Patreon. All right, so before I get into specifically talking about the death of God, God is dead, and what Nietzsche was, you know, claiming, for anyone who is maybe new to Nietzsche, I'll just give you a brief rundown of, you know, his, you know, not his, just a brief little summary of who he was, you know, just a brief, brief summary. So Nietzsche was born October 1844. And he died August 25th, 1900. He was a German philosopher. He began his career as a classical philologist before turning to philosophy. He became the youngest person to hold the chair of classical theology at the University of Basel, or Basel in 1869 at the age of 24. Quite impressive. But resigned in 1879 due to health problems that plagued him most of his life. He completed much of his core writing in the following decade in the 1880s. And in 1889, at age 44, he suffered a collapse and afterward a complete loss of his mental faculties with paralysis and probably vascular dementia. He lived his remaining years in the care of his mother until her death in 1897 and then with his sister, Elizabeth Nietzsche, and then Nietzsche died in 1900 after experiencing pneumonia and multiple strokes. So he had a pretty hard life. And I would argue that a lot of people of his greatness and his psychological turmoil, but also genius and brilliance, are almost destined to suffer. And part of me feels that the smartest intellectuals and groundbreaking minds, you know, do suffer the most in this world. And I think that's where they get they they draw their inspiration and their intuitive insights from. You know, I really do. Now Nietzsche's work spans from philosophical poetry, cultural criticism, fiction while displaying a fondness for aphorism and irony. Predominant elements of his philosophy include his radical critique of truth in favor of perspectivism, genealogical critique of religion and Christian morality and a related theory of master-slave morality and the aesthetic affirmation of life in response to both the death of God and the profound crisis of nihilism. So he really wanted to make it clear that nihilism is not the way. But it was almost destined for humanity to go down that road as the death of God became more and more evident in the secular world in the modern world, in which he was slowly beginning to foresee, you know, as his death approached and before his mental, you know, downfalls and his sicknesses, you know, I think he foresaw what the 20th century was going to be all about, which is, you know, pretty much a huge, you know, it's his work was pretty much like an anxiety and a fear. You know, trying to scream from the mountaintop 
you know, his solutions for what he foresaw the 20th century essentially to be unfolding to be. So, you know, he had answers to, you know, his claims. And of course, he had answers to those who would maybe favor nihilism or um, contemplate that being the end. Like, is once God's dead, I guess all we have left is nihilism. So, you know, Nietzsche was also very much in the crowd sort of of existentialism before that became a real big thing is that existentialism didn't really take off until you know the 20s 30s and 40s but he was already involved in kind of that <clears throat> in those thought processes because you know at least in existentialism there's still there's still a stiff arm to nihilism but more about the human will to power like the putting the power of the individual to create meaning in the world versus relying on the tribal God, the Abrahamic God. Which all of these earlier philosophers of the modern age, you know, when they talked about atheism or the death of God, they were pretty much talking about the death of the Abrahamic God, the death of the man in the sky who we are supposed to fear and obey. And obey those who are in the cloaks, who preach the stuff and designate the dogmas of rules upon us or else. So Nietzsche had a lot, a lot of profound um, solutions to the death of God and just pretty much talking about, you know, once religion collapses, like what is humanity to do? And, you know, he was worried about nihilism. But he had answers to it, like I just said four times already. He had um, something called the Ubermensch, which is an archetypal ideal of man or, you know, human, a human ideal, which kind of in, in a weird way, you know, there are links to some Buddhist ideas with that. Just sort of being so content in one's own existence that that's enough to live happily. And of course, there's a ton more that goes into that. So I'm not at all trying to say I'm explaining the Ubermensch in, in any extent right now. And then on top of his body of work, you know, he touched a lot of other range of topics, including arts, history, music, religion, tragedy, culture, science. So he drew inspiration from everywhere, Greek tragedy, as well as uh, very, very heavy-hitting philosophers such as Schopenhauer, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Wagner, and, uh, you know, so many more. Now, I, I don't want to really talk too much about after his death. You know, maybe in another episode I can talk about that. But, you know, after his death, his sister, you know, because again, the rise of German ultra-nationalist ultra-nationalist ideology started taking root, you know, Nazism. And his sister apparently, you know, fell right into all that. Uh, personally, I don't really know much about his sister. Maybe some of you guys do, but, you know, I don't know if she was forced into her ideologies or was she just part of the wave of, you know, similar to our, uh, you know, our Trumpian, you know, thing that happened in the United States where, 
you know, so many people, you know, were put under that illusion that Trump, Trump was like the next Jesus, you know? Um, but could you blame the people who wanted a fresh face, you know, opposed to the politicians of our past? So again, like, was his sister just drawn into the mess of this? And did she change his work? Because that's what she did. She, ed- she curated and edited all of his manuscripts, or most of them after he died, and to fit her German ideological, you know, ways, which is wild that she would do that. So, and then after, you know, as the 20th century, you know, once we dealt with World War II and, you know, the Nazis and fascism, you know, there were 20th century scholars that went back and defended Nietzsche against the interpretation of what his sister had done. And then in the 60s, you know, while we were having such a cultural profound revolution in the West, you know, 21st century thinkers, you know, from the the 60s onward, especially with schools of thought, uh, continental philosophy, um, you know, existentialism, postmodernism, poststructuralism, you know, he, the truth was reestablished of what he really meant, you know, what his work really stood for. So let's talk strictly now about God is dead. What did, what Nietzsche really meant? What did Nietzsche really meant by God is dead? So I have a mixture of my own notes and an article, you know, a couple of articles I have pulled up on my computer. So the death of God didn't strike Nietzsche as entirely good thing. Because he knew without a God, the basic belief system of Western Europe was in jeopardy. The phrase God is dead remains one of the most famous quotes from him. The quote is often misunderstood, as I said before, or taken out of context. Nietzsche was referring to, in real simple terms, how the Enlightenment had contributed to the erosion of religious beliefs, which had long served as a foundational belief system for much of the world. So it has been more than 130 years since the German philosopher declared God is dead, giving philosophy students a collective headache that lasted from the 19th century until today. It is perhaps one of the best-known statements in all of philosophy, well-known even to those who never even picked up any of his books. And The Gay Science is the book in which this originates, if you're wondering. But do we know exactly what he meant, or perhaps more importantly, what it means for us? Nietzsche was an atheist for his adult life, and so he didn't mean 
that there was a God who actually died, but rather that our idea of one had. After the Enlightenment, the idea of the universe that was governed by physical laws and not by divine providence had become mainstream. Because science was beginning to unfold profound truths, quote-unquote truths, I mean, we're talking philosophy here, around that were really, really starting to debunk Christian myth, Christian theory. So philosophy had shown around that time that governments no longer needed to be organized around the idea of divine right to be legitimate, but rather by the consent or rationality of the governed, that large and consistent moral theories could exist without reference to God. This was a tremendous event. Europe no longer needed God as the source for all morality, value, or order in the universe. Philosophy and science were capable of doing that for us. This increasing secularization of thought in the West led the philosopher to realize that not only was God dead, but also that human beings had killed him with their scientific revolution and their desire to better understand the world. The death of God, though, didn't strike Nietzsche as an entirely good thing. Without a God, the basic belief system of Western Europe was in jeopardy. As he put it in The Twilight of the Idols, quote, When one gives up the Christian faith, one pulls the right to Christian morality out from under one's feet. This morality is by no means self-evident. Christianity is a system, a whole view of things thought out together. And by breaking one main concept out of it, the faith in God, because the one main concept out of it is having faith in God, one breaks the whole system. So he was really, really fearful that, oh my God, if, we, if everyone stops believing in the tribal Abrahamic God, that everyone's just going to become a savage. And that's really not how it, you know, I know I can understand the fear back in the day of that. But, um, but as we know now, that's not entirely, you know, how it goes. But, um, but still, we are seeing a lot of what he foresaw still playing out in the world today. You know, with the whole meaning crisis, you hear a lot of philosophers and psychologists talk about. And, um... So this is why it's so important to study philosophy and understand it. So we can, you know, answer these questions for ourselves. So continuing on, my notes, Nietzsche thought this could be a good thing for some people, though, saying, quote, at hearing the news that the old God is dead, we philosophers and free spirits feel illuminated by a new dawn. So a bright morning had arrived, with the old system of meaning gone, a new one could be created. But it came with risks. 
ones that could bring about the worst in human nature. Nietzsche believed that the removal of this system put most people at the risk of despair or meaninglessness. What could be the point of life without God? Still a very valid claim. And something I could very much relate to in my life as well. Until I discovered other types of, you know, spiritual practices, quote unquote, you know, being an avid meditator, taking a more Zen, actually, Buddhist approach to the way I look at life, which actually Nietzsche had a lot of things to say about Buddhism. And I'm actually grateful to say that a lot of the philosophers I really admire and some of the work that I focus on in my life, you know, my, uh, you know, Nietzsche's of philosophy, you know, there is sort of a, a Buddhist respect, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to see the comparisons of Buddhism or at least Zen Buddhism with some of these uh, philosophies that I really, really take kindly to, such as existentialism, phenomenology, idealism a little bit. And Nietzsche definitely spoke on some parts of Buddhism as well, which is where he, because again, I don't know if he studied Buddhism or anything, but his, you know, stiff arming to nihilism, I think also had a lot to do with maybe, you know, it, it, it's just very similar to some Buddhist thought because people think Buddhist is, you know, an atheist, you know, religion and all this other stuff, but no, they're really just they're um they're a mixture of idealism, materialism, even realism, but also not being ignorant that there is some underlying quote unquote reality, ultimate reality that is trans kind of superimposed on our reality, making it a one in the same reality, hence non duality of some kind. And then discussing nirvana almost as if that could be the answer to a god, the source, the ground of all phenomena and non-phenomena. So in a way, Nietzsche and a lot of other philosophers in the existential movements talk about that a little bit. Like they, they touch on that. They make it sound similar to what I was just talking about before, you know, with the Zen thing. But... But again, I don't want to go off track. You know, I'll definitely talk more about, you know, Zen Buddhism and, you know, stuff like that too. Eventually, soon. But this whole, like, you know, the risk of despair or meaninglessness and nihilism, you know, there are answers to avoid that. But during the time of his philosophizing all this, you know, it was, you know, tough. You know, no one was studying Buddhism in Germany, in the West, really. Like, nobody was, like, expanding. They didn't have the resources, maybe, to some of the books. and you know, other philosophies and theories out there. But it's kind of interesting how they all sort of, you know, they eventually all start to come together and, you know, the ideas, you know, between all schools of thought sort of just start dancing with each other and trying to answer some of these, you know, really, really important human questions. So furthering on in my notes, 
Even if there was a God, the Western world now knew that he hadn't placed us at the center of the universe. So science, you know, when science discovered, hey, you know, humans and Earth are not the center of the universe. Like once we started being able to see out into space, you know, the Christian ideal of, uh, you know, humans are created the center of the universe. No, we're not. We're in a solar system in a very massive galaxy that is just one of an unthinkable amount of galaxies. And now we're beginning to even understand in the year that I'm recording this that there's even, we're, there's telescopes now that could see the beginning of the universe and beyond where the Big Bang actually happened. So there's residual evidence of what happened before the Big Bang, which is now even more solidifying the multiverse theories that maybe every, there's multiple Big Bangs, almost like waves in an ocean, just Big Bang after Big Bang after Big Bang. Maybe they collapse in on each other and then they re-Big Bang, you know, they re-expand. And, you know, we're, we're starting to understand that everything the Christian ideal of the creation of the world and universe was completely false. So Nietzsche says, we finally saw the true world. The universe wasn't made solely for human existence anymore. And he feared that this understanding of the world would lead to pessimism, a will to nothingness that was antithetical to the life-affirming philosophy Nietzsche promoted. So again, Nietzsche did have a very, very strong existentialist type of view because he really wanted to put power back into the people's hands. He wanted to, you know, kind of make sure people weren't going to fall into nihilism because of this, because there is another way, there is some other phenomena and mystery to our existence, but it is only up to the human itself to will itself into the world and create its own meaning. So, so his fear of nihilism and our reaction to it was shown in the will to power which is something else he wrote. So this is very important. His will to power claim, philosophy, theory, whatever, is extremely important to his answer to the death of God. And he wrote, quote, what I relate, what I relate is the history of the next two centuries. I describe what is coming, what can no longer come differently, the advent of nihilism. So he foresaw nihilism. He foresaw a meaning crisis. And for some time now, our whole European culture has been moving as toward a catastrophe. Nietzsche would not have been surprised by the events that plagued Europe in the 20th century, communism, Nazism, nationalism, and other ideologies that spread across the continent in the wake of World War I. And then, of course, after he, you know, and then World War II, you know, and then how everything was, um, you know, how the government was sought to provide man with the meaning and value as a worker, as an Aryan, or some other greater deed. In a similar way to how Christianity could provide meaning as a child of God and give life on earth value by its relation to heaven. Although he may have rejected those ideologies, he no doubt would have acknowledged the need for the meaning they provided. So, 
as horrible and fucked up as communism, Nazism, nationalism, and any other ideology that takes root to replace something that's higher, you know, he would have understood them, as we all should. If you have a brain and you're an intellectual and you have any sort of intuitive understanding of the human mind, behavior, way, way, just the human way, generally speaking, you can't be surprised by groupthink ideologies and new forms of what can give a person meaning to take root, you know? It's just the people have not found a way to live with meaning without some dogmatic rule-following, you know, blueprint. So in a way, you know, when we look at religion, the ethics and morals that came from the dogma, even though the ultimate reason for all of that was power, control, um, you know, even though there's some really good things and things that come from religion, you know, like values, like it really did teach people morals and values at the, you know, but at the same time, striking the fear of God and hell into everybody. So, you know, human beings need, we are, we are creatures that cannot find home within ourselves. We need to find home and comfort with ideas, with other people. Because we're social creatures. And we're also creatures that are constantly seeking fulfillment and nourishment. And it's just part of why we are the way we are, just part of our species. Now, I'm being tempted to share, you know, some metaphysical theories of mine on the human story, because I personally believe that there is, I don't want to say divine, but I do feel there is a story of our existence, of our essence, of our consciousness, of our mind that is extremely important to investigate through meditation or through just contemplating some of these, uh, you know, kind of more idealistic systems of thought. Because for me, in my research and my work in, you know, the philosophy of mind, phenomenology, existentialism, meditation, uh, Zen Buddhism, you know, taking all of that, all those things that I hold so dear to me, I for one can say, well, yeah, there, there is something to this simulation, this, this uh, cosmic story that we are one with and part of. And to me, actually, existentialism is extremely, can fit very, very well with some of my theories on the nature of reality and how we, yes, have to bring meaning into this world through ourselves. And if there is a source, if there is a God, if there is some higher ideal and higher purpose to life, it's not by the will of God. It's because we have the essence of, quote unquote, this source, this God within us, and we are a part of its dream and it's in its own mind, but it is not separate from our own experience. So from an existentialist point of view, 
the whole idea of willing our own path in life authentically and seriously is in itself the will of whatever the source is simultaneously. But until humanity kind of goes down a road where we can give up the tribal God, the Abrahamic God, religion generally speaking, dogmas generally speaking, and kind of have a common value, moral, ethical system put in place, which to be quite honest with you, this is where Nietzsche was so fearful of, but humanity as atheism took roots and as you know, Eastern thought kind of came into America and what in the West, bringing in not so tribal views of religion, but also giving people meaning through other forms of quote unquote spiritualities. Um, you know, now we have certain sciences still getting to the heart of, you know, consciousness and trying to figure out like, yeah, there could be a source to this, you know, so Nietzsche's, you know, vision of the entire world going down the spiral of nihilism didn't really come true, but we are seeing a lot of what he predicted still come true. I mean, you have the ideologies of the far right and the far left and the woke movements and, you know, all this other stuff. You know, how we have political ideologies that, you know, have plagued the 20th century, you know, up until the Cold War. We still have it going on now. It hasn't gone away. People treat politics like it is their fucking religion. So it's, it is seeped in, except some of these, you know, still, God is still very much influenced, though. It is still a part of it all. So the tribal God isn't necessarily dead, but at the same time, it kind of is. <clears throat> if that makes sense. I don't know. I feel like I just, you know, beat around the bush a little bit there. So let's talk quickly about the Ubermensch, which is his archetypal ideal for the man of the future, <laughs> the human of the future. So of course, Nietzsche saw the 20th century events unfolding, or he knew what was going to come, some of the things I just laid out before you. And he offered us a way out. He said, the creation of our own values as individuals, the creation of a meaning of life by those who live it is very important. So we have to have this will into life through the individual means individual must create a meaning um, for itself. The archetype of the individual who can do this has a name that also has reached our popular consciousness, the Ubermensch. Nietzsche, however, saw this as a distant goal for man and one that most would not be able to reach. The Ubermensch, which he felt had not yet existed on earth, would create meaning in life by their will alone while understanding that they are, in the end, responsible for their selection. So this is a very existential list view. As he put it in Thus Spoke Zarathustra, a book of his, quote, For the game of creation, my brothers, a sacred yes is needed. The spirit now wills his own will. Such a bold individual will not be able to point to dogma or popular opinion as to why they value what they do. Having suggested the rarity and difficulty in creating the Ubermensch, Nietzsche suggested an alternative response to nihilism, and one that he saw as the more likely to be selected, the last man. 
This kind of person is, quote, most contemptible thing, end quote, who lives a quiet life of comfort without thought for individuality or personal growth because we have discovered happiness, say the last man, and they blink. So in a way, and when I read more into this last man, you know, when I used to, when I studied more of this in the past, you know, this is where, you know, I've seen some things being discussed about Buddhism because the Buddhist is, you know, the Buddhist whole, the whole thing with Buddhism is, you know, to realize you're not the self and to re reside in the peace that, um, that is not your mind. Whatever is animating the mind is kind of the peace, the nirvana, the big question mark of what is this reality that lies beyond our thoughts. But the thing is, is he did have a lot to say against Buddhism, though, because he didn't think shedding the ego and looking at your life as, you know, nothing, you know, you know, not just erasing like, oh, you're not your thoughts. Like the Buddhist thing is, you know, in order to release your suffering, you have to see yourself as not a self and all of life is conditioning and, you know, suffering is because of attachment. Where Nietzsche was like, no, we need to still have the ego be something very, very desired in our life. We need that in order to will humanity in a, in a direction that could be the most lucrative and the most harmonious. Because Nietzsche was a humanist, you know, he was very much interested in helping people or, or sharing with people, rather, that the individual is an important part of our existence and our species has a very unique role to play in this world, but we don't need to rely on the fear and the religious ideal of creation in order to create happiness to live harmoniously with morals and values and community. But it's strange because some of his things are very, some of his ideas in regards to this type of, this topic here can be very Buddhist sounding because speaking of the last men, the last man ideal in relation to the Ubermensch, this is the answer to happiness without God. Just finding peace and contentment within your own existence and within your own individuality and authenticity and seeing that as being part of existence itself. But not being nihilistic in that. Meaning, still contemplate there's a meaning to life, but it is your responsibility to create that meaning. But he still, at the end, in, at the end of the day, was very pessimistic about humanity's ability to handle God's death. Because during the time of his life, 
you know, it was just start this, this was just starting to take root. This was just starting to happen. You know, people, the masses were beginning to realize the advancements of science, psychology, philosophy, and more and more people were turning against religion. So let me just continue on reading what I have here. But you might ask if God has been dead for so long and we are supposed to be suffering for knowing it, where are all the atheists? Nietzsche himself provided an answer. God is dead, but given the way of men, there will still be caves for thousands of years in which his shadow will be shown. Meaning religion will still have its hold in our world. And in the modern age, as you know, religion is still around. Spirituality that's anti-religious is pretty popular. You know, we can thank the East for that new age, you know, spirituality for that kind of. Um, we have a lot of agnostics in this world. You know, we have a lot of atheists in this world now. But it's strange because, you know, there's a lot of breakthroughs in science, in physics that are still not saying, no, there's no God. Like there's actually a lot of evidence that our reality in our world is an illusion and everything in life is, it's really wild. Like there's some really big claims being said right now where science is kind of throwing the ball back in the mystics court saying, yeah, like there's this ground of being and consciousness that is a reality in itself so how do we how do we answer that with science and with materialistic only views and opinions and philosophies you know it's you know we have to continue to argue and debate these points But to many, God is dead in a tribal sense. Religion is on the decline across the world. Um, people still need religion. There's still much religion in this world. It still provides a lot of good to people. Um, but again, still a lot of fear. A lot of fear. And if we want to bring in, you know, violence, <laughs> you know, violence is still very much active in religious, you know, worlds. So indeed, atheism is on the rise with near majorities in many European countries and newfound growth in the United States, heralding a cultural shift. But unlike when atheism was enforced by the communist nations, there isn't necessarily a worldview backing this new lack of God. It is only the lack. So in a lot of Western world, in, in the Western world, you know, we don't live in, we live in democracy for the most part and, and democracy type countries um most of the people are becoming anti-religious which is why we keep seeing you know why we keep seeing an uprise of the meaning crisis 
why so many people are lost in this world, why there's so much psychological problems. Because back in the day, you know, you could go through a serious issue and then, you know, fall into the hands of God, you know, from a religious perspective. And then, yeah, your life psychologically kind of gets better because, you know, you, you begin, once you convince yourself of something that can provide you safety, security, and comfort, you know, your life gets better, even if it's false, even if it's an illusion. So, you know, a lot of philosophers now and prior, you know, in the 20th century, you know, saw, you know, the movements of ideologies of the political and social nature to become a religion unto themselves, which they are now as well, if you haven't noticed. Um... And some argue that that's enough to provide meaning and value to a population when the belief in God is dead. But again, I feel that there is some spiritual component to the human being that needs to be filled. We all have this feeling within us that there is something deeper to reality than just our politicians and our governments and what our country stands for and, you know, whatever. Or far right, conservative, you know, ideas and far left and woke ideas. Because there's no end to those roads. There's no end to the arguments and the hatred that can come from those things too. So it's really a catch-22 because... In every ideology, faith system, religion, political system, um, anything that could bring meaning to people, there's always the darkness and the light of that. So neither religion or scientism or even philosophy will ever be able to bring a human individual total fulfillment and meaning in and of themselves. Humans need to see the truth that all of these are just kind of idealistic systems of thought that help some people and don't help other people, but to not become attached to them as 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 if it is the only truth to all of life and reality because that's not how it works that's why it's so important to reflect on existentialism and just what it means to be an authentic human and bringing your own value into the world by seeing what you are gravitated towards how not to be so attached to ideas generally speaking something that you could become a tribal um figure in you know, because people need that sense of community and togetherness and shared values, but there's always a slippery slope downwardness to that as well. Which is why Zen Buddhism to me has my 
utmost respect. Because yes, it takes ideas of some of the Buddha's teachings, but it is strictly focused on meditation and getting to the heart of being itself. And what is this being? And meditating upon that in a non-nihilistic way, but also seeing that meaning, ethics, and morals don't doesn't have to come from Christianity or Islam or Judaism, you know, the big three. So, as many atheists know, to not have a god without an additional philosophical structure providing meaning can be a cause of existential dread. Are we at risk of becoming a society struggling with our own meaninglessness then? Are we as society at risk for nihilism? Are we more vulnerable to, to now to ideologies and con men who promise to do what God used to do for us in society? And my answer to that is yes, yes, and yes. And we've seen this being, we've seen this play out. We've seen it played out now. We're seeing it being played out now. You know, and even shortly after his death, Nietzsche's death, you know, Nazism, communism, fascism, these all were answers to the enlightenment's and science's killing of God. But strangely enough, a lot of those movements still had beliefs in some kind of a source. You know, people, you know, even Hitler and some of his, some of that Nazi shit, they, people were, you know, they were exploring occult science. They were, they were exploring wild things. I mean, not sharing that with the people. Because they wanted the people to be a slave to them, as they're the new god. And in today's world, we sort of see this too. You know, we are becoming slaves to technology. We are becoming slaves to artificial intelligence. We are becoming slaves to still our political systems. People have been slaves to Trumpism, wokeism. So if you're not sitting in the middle and seeing all this bullshit for what it is, then you are part of the problem. You are. And the truth is, is that most of the world is never going to think like you and myself. If you're someone resonating with my, what I'm saying, if you resonate with, you know, philosophy, generally speaking, or at least some of the things that, you know, I talk about. And like Nietzsche said, religion will, and the tribal God will linger around for thousands of years, potentially more in caves, meaning you're never going to kill a creator god you're never going to kill the idea of some kind of creation story 
from a higher power. And I'm certainly not going to kill it either because I'm not a nihilist. And I think that's actually what nihilism is, is totally killing, like leaving no room for debate of the nature of reality, of metaphysics. And some philosophers in Nietzsche's time, answering to him in a lot of his claims, you know, a lot of, there are some philosophers that were very nihilistic and very, um, you know, not afraid to say, like, metaphysics is dead now. Science has killed metaphysics, which actually all those philosophers, and I'm not sure if Schopenhauer was a part of that. He might have said some wild things like that. I can't remember. But, um, but whoever, well, any of those philosophers who were saying, yeah, the future is going to be nihilistic, there's going to be no meaning, and uh, we should kill metaphysics because science is going to tell us everything. And then the truth is, is science now, in 2023, is starting to tell us that reality is an illusion, that materialism is an illusion. So if any of those philosophers in Nietzsche's day started hearing these truths from science, then they would probably be thinking twice about nihilism. So just to close with a couple of more, two more paragraphs in my notes here. As philosopher... Alain de Botton suggests about our values, it seems that we have managed to deal with the death of God better than Nietzsche had thought we would. We are not at all the last man. You know, his, remember that last man thing he, you know, that Nietzsche was talking about in regards to the Ubermensch. So we are not at all the last men, nor have we descended into a situation where all morality is seen as utterly relative or relative and meaningless. It seems that we have managed to create a world where the need for God is reduced for some people without falling into collective despair or chaos. So are we as individuals up to the task of creating our own values? Creating meaning in life by ourselves without aid from God, dogma, or popular choice. Perhaps some of us are, and if we understand the implications of the death of God, we stand a better chance of doing so. The despair of the death of God may give way to new meaning in our lives, for as famous existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre suggested, <laughs> why did I say it that way? Uh, life begins on the other side of despair. So, ain't that the truth? Because all life is impermanent, constantly changing. And we can even say that's the nature of source, the source, consciousness. I mean, life, the mind. This is why it's so important to study the mind. Because um, we can see deeper into the nature of our lives, into the nature of the world, into the nature of the fallacy of, you know, our, even our subjective experience and thought processes and our psychologies. And again, I think there's a lot of arguments still to be had in the one thing I just said prior. It seems we have managed to create a world where the need for God is reduced for some people without falling 
into collective despair or chaos. Now, there's another phenomenon happening in the modern age, which is the age of narcissism, self-indulgence, hedonism, personal enjoyments, um, where the materialistic world and selfishness involving bliss and (laughs) desire is at an all-time high. So we can also say that there's an we're in an age of distraction and an age of selfishness which is not even allowing people to contemplate and think about the death of god because god now for everyone is in materialism is in um you know in things that bring us pleasure 24/7 So those are other conversations to have because again if we take if we take shopping away from everybody and and pleasure and traveling the world I mean look at what happened during covid they shut down the fucking world and people went ape shit people went ape shit and then you look at the religious people and some spiritual people not the new age because the new age went full right wing during covid um but you see people who are very religiously in tune with themselves, you know, very meditative people who are normal, not crazy, wackadoo, new age people, but uh, who are very centered. You know, they, they were fine without going out, traveling. They were content in their own experience, in their own lives and what they were dealing with. And they, they tackled the challenges of the world as it arose. They didn't necessarily argue because they didn't like what the government was saying here or there. It was just, like, this is what we're dealing with, and this is what we have to kind of roll through at the moment. But that's a good example, in a way, because when, you t- when we got everything sort of taken away from us for a little while with COVID, people did fall into despair and chaos. So if we look at that, as if it were God, meaning the materialistic world, the desires, the pleasures, the globe trotting, um, all that stuff, you know, our freedom to literally keep our head in the sand, buried in our technology, and whatever the case, you know. That's when, like, this whole God of the death of God kind of, you know, kind of can reveal itself, you know, the chaos of not having that solidness because god provides a solid foundation of belief and faith and hope so one downfall of the modern age and stuff that nietzsche foresaw as far as nihilism and his fears of what would happen to people and in you know and the despair of meaninglessness covid is a great example because it really showed you how addicted people were to the materialistic world and all of our distractions, which we are most replaced as God. Having faith in our things, faith in our desires, faith in our goals, faith in our passions. And again, still though, from there, there's an individualistic you know, existential, like bringing meaning into the world because you are a part of the world doing all those things. But but again, it, there's a tightrope between being a true existentialist and being a complete dipshit, materialist, narcissist, selfish human 
going on its own merry way. Because it's obvious, it was obvious during COVID that people weren't behaving as a true existentialist would want one to, meaning authentic, authentically, seriously, you know, truthfully, you know, showing values, you know, and respect for other people. Because what happened with COVID and what's going on in our modern time is that people are worshiping things in this world that our ID, our other ideologies are politically motivated, are materialistically motivated. And because of that, people really aren't creating meaning in their life. COVID stripped things away from people and made them realize that they have no meaning unless they are completely hustle culture, busy 24-7, or traveling the world, or completely caught up in, you know, the daily life of things that don't really bring people meaning at the end of the day. And God always brought people meaning. Even if it was for the wrong reasons. So guys, I'm going to end this podcast episode there. Um, I do hope it made sense to you. I do hope it was enjoyable for you to listen to. Again, there's so much into this topic and all of Nietzsche's ideas and, you know, you, I think anyone out there who's interested in philosophy, I mean, you know, it's a never ending conversation. It's a never ending debate. It's a never ending meditation, but it's one that must be continued, respected. And always moving forward. Because the human species depends on it. So that all being said, folks, thank you so much for listening. And I will see you in the next episode.